It's 835. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ Grew, who's producing the show today and always. You're a baseball fan, right? Okay. So it was... This is, again, this is one of my pet peeves, and it's, it's one of the... It's one of the things that whenever I have an opportunity to run into some of the people, the higher-ups at baseball, I, I always point this out. All right, so last last night, um, I, I was invited. They had a big fundraising gala for Habitat for Humanity, and WTMJ had a table, and they were kind enough to invite me, so I went and had a really nice time. But I tell you, one of the things that I was a little bit disappointed about was that well, okay, the event started at 5.30. It was probably going to run till 9. And, and last night was game five between the Cubs and the, the Washington Nationals in, in the playoff series. And as, as people know, I'm sort of the anti-Cubs fan. And so I, I wanted to go and I want to watch and root against the Cubs and all. And I was thinking, oh, geez, this, this game is going to be it's going to be too bad because by the time I get home, it's going to be two-thirds over. Well, not to worry. Not to worry. This was a nine-inning game. And if you were able to watch the game, I take my hat off to you, it ran four hours and 37 minutes. A baseball game, and I understand it's game five of the series, it ran four and a half hours. My goodness. And this is, and I look, I understand if you were a Cubs fan or you're a Washington Nationals fan, you kind of hang on every pitch. But for the average person, four and a half hours. When, when I... When, when I got home, I start to, I, I didn't get home to like, it seemed to be like 9.30 or 10 o'clock. I start to channel surf and all, and they're, they're, they're only in like the sixth or the seventh inning. It's just, baseball, if they are ever going to capture the attention of the general public and stop some of the, and I understand attendance is doing fine, but in, in general, for the casual fans and for TV viewers, you, you can't have a game that runs four hours and 37 minutes. How you do that, I, I don't exactly know, but it's just, it's interminable. And how do you, how do you watch something like that? You just, you just don't. Four hours and 37 minutes, and at the end of the day, the Cubs won. So, so now I get to root against them when they play the Dodgers. So that's, that's okay. It's all fine. And if you're a Cubs fan, great. I'm happy. And, but four hours and 37 minutes. If you don't think baseball has a problem, just look at a game like that last night. Okay, we start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. Store and and by the way, today we are going to be going through a lot of different topics, and we're going to be going through them quickly. Um, Congressman Glenn Grothman joins me at nine thirty-five this morning. We'll be talking to him about tax reform and maybe some questions about Obamacare, all sorts of issues like that. In addition, uh, there is a video, and I hate the phrase "gone viral" because it's a cliche, but there. This is a video that has absolutely gone viral. It involves a confrontation between a patient, a woman who goes into one of these urgent care centers, you know, the dock in the box type of things, and thinks that she has been waiting too long and kind of gets in the face of the doctor, and the doctor responds. And we're we're going to be talking about this because what ends up happening is the woman's daughter starts taking a cell phone video of the doctor and his response. We're going to be talking about this. I will describe what happens. And again, as often happens, the doctor and the urgent care facility, the doc in the box place, says, well, this doesn't capture everything that had been going on. But it does, I think, raise a few interesting questions. If you want to see the video in advance of us talking about it sometime during the 9 o'clock hour at the beginning of the 10 o'clock hour, if you simply text the word, the letters, E-R, 
capital E-R, to 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Just text E-R. We will send you a link to the, the video, and, and you can watch this. I think the whole video is only a couple minutes long, but you, you can see how the doctor reacts to the patient who is unhappy that she has had to wait over an hour in the urgent care facility. So text the word, the, the letters ER, we'll send you a link to that. All right, a big story number one, Foxconn residents not happy. The location for Foxconn in Mount Pleasant has now been selected. Over the course of <clears throat> the last several months, realtors have been buying up property um, that, that ultimately is going to be transferred over to Foxconn. There are, however, some people who haven't haven't sold, and they're going to be in a situation where the re- reality is they are going to be forced out. Um, hearing the other night, more than 50 residents who are going to be forced out of their homes because of Foxconn's plan to build this massive uh, manufacturing facility, they they aren't they aren't happy uh, about this. Um, they don't know exactly how much money they're going to get. That hasn't been set yet. But they will get, you know, fair market value. They don't know what fair market value is going to be. But they're unhappy at being forced to move. Um, there's, for example, you know, one one lady is saying, "Hey, you know, this is, I, I you know, here here's the deal. I just moved here. This is my dream house." You know, I should not be forced out. Somebody else is saying, hey, you know, we're, we're here. We, you know, we have a business that's down here. We're being forced out of that. Um, it's going to be, you know, a couple wages. Our entire life is being rerouted. You know, we're being forced to move. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know that there is a more controversial aspect nowadays of property law then this law of eminent domain. Eminent domain always used to mean that if you have an area that is blighted, what could happen is you could have the government that would come in and the government could take over this blighted area in an effort to try to improve. I mean, you wouldn't have, uh, you know, okay, let's say you've got some, some slums in a downtown area. And, you know, the government decides, look, we want to get rid of these slums. This is an area that is blighted. So what we're going to do is we're going to come in and we're not going to be held up because you have some, for example, some slum landlord that decides that they don't want to sell. They want to charge exorbitant prices. Well, the law now says that, you know, you could come in and you can essentially force that that person to sell. But it always used to be you had to have blight or you had to have an overriding public purpose. I mean, let's say... You need to put in a school in a particular community, and there's only one area where the school really makes sense. Well, homeowners in that area couldn't hold up the government by refusing to sell because, again, this was something that was going to be in the public interest. A few years ago, in a very controversial Supreme Court case, the law changed, and now what can happen is the government can come in, and even if the land isn't blighted, even if this isn't a slum, the government can come in and say, you have to get out because we have a better use for this land. In this case, the better use would be, hey, we've got Foxconn coming in, and Foxconn's going to provide you know thousands and thousands of jobs and create this tax base, and we can't or we shouldn't allow you as an individual homeowner to try to hold up this project 
by refusing to sell. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Eminent domain is going to be used in this situation. I think the state really has no choice, but, 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 do the homeowners have a fair concern that they are being forced out? Or is this just a simple effort to say, hey, these people are trying to get as much money as they possibly can, and we should not be sympathetic to them? Do the homeowners who are being forced out have have a point? 414-799-1620. My answer is, yeah, they have a point, but I don't think they have a legal leg to stand on. We discuss next. It's 843. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 846, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And one of the questions we're getting is, well, wait, we, we thought that they were going to locate Foxconn on the, 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 these huge tracts of you know, unimproved land, like the vacant farmland. And, and that is true to an extent. Matter of fact, a lot of the, the real estate developers representing Foxconn have been buying up large tracts of vacant farmland. And that price has gone up to like $50,000 an acre, which, by the way, is way over what the market value would be. At the same time, there's still a lot of sm- and a, a lot, I don't know, 50, 100 of, of small lot, people who own either small lots or homeowners. And, and that land's going to be taken as well. Maybe it's because you're going to have to wi- you're going to have to widen the roads. You have to do these things. But but again, um, there are going to be a number of people who are going to you know be displaced as a result of what's going on here, and they're uh, they're not happy about this. Laura from Oostburg text, I'm shocked this is happening. I believe this is immoral and wrong. Was not part of the reason Foxconn was coming to southern Wisconsin because there were large open areas where they could build. It was not disclosed that property owners were going to be displaced for a private company. And again, the, the displacement in general is going to be for a lot of the, tr- in general, for the traditional reasons why you have eminent domain gee we need to expand the roadways and things like that but at the same time it's being done because you're expanding the roadways because you're making room for foxconn here here is the way i see that this issue breaking down i have always had trouble with the eminent domain rules which force people who do not live in blighted areas to sell Again, like I was saying earlier, if you've got somebody who's a, a slumlord or owns a bunch of you know rundown, decrepit buildings in a city, and the city comes up with this idea that hey, we're going to do urban renewal here, and we're going to clear this out, and we're going to put in you know housing, or we're going to put in businesses, I don't think the slumlord should be in a position of saying no, we're not going to uh, we're we're not going to sell, or we're going to charge exorbitant rates in effort to sell. I mean, I, I think that always makes sense. What's difficult here, though, is it's not a blighted area. Um, th- these homes are perfectly fine. They're going to make way for roadways and things like that. Um, so this is a situation where, under an ideal circumstance, you would expect, again, you know, the Foxconn developers and all to to have tried to obtain this land. But in general, they haven't because this is going to be used for some of, again, these traditional eminent domain things. Well, we're not really taking this directly for Foxconn, but we're widening the road, so we need to take your house. I think, to me, this is a close call. But it's one of those situations where, as long as it is going to widen the roads and provide the utilities, as opposed to we're taking the house because it sits in the middle of a tract of land we're going to build Foxconn on, I think that is where the difference is. I understand 
that the people are unhappy about this, and I understand that they think that they're entitled to a, a lot of money for their property. And candidly, I hope, whether it's Mount Pleasant or whoever, looks at this and decides, you know, we are displacing these people to make room for, again, this private development that I think is going to end up being great for the state. So I hope that the appraisers give these people not just what fair market value might have been a year or two ago, but what fair market value for the property was would be five years in the future. Because, again, their property is being taken to widen the roads so you can have increased access to Foxconn and things like that. Foxconn, I think, is going to be great for the area. That The fact that people are saying, well, this is my dream home. I've been here for a year. Well, you can always move the homes. I just think that the important thing is that you need to be – you need to be fairly compensated for, you know, this. And I think that's one of the big questions here. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, big story number one, some people unhappy. I think they deserve to be compensated for what they're losing out on. Ed in Mount Pleasant. Ed, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Thanks. Um, yeah, I, like I said, uh to your screener, um, they're going to probably end up paying bottom dollar for these people's properties. And like I was telling him, the reason why I moved to Mount Pleasant, it's a quiet, open area, farm fields and stuff. And, um, you know, I was all for Foxconn coming in, creating meaningful jobs, but uh, they're going to end up paying bottom line. Um, I mean, that's just how how they work down in uh, the Racine area, uh, California, Mount Pleasant, mm-hmm. event. But, um I just have a feeling it's going to be a big, big mess paying bottom dollar. Um, they're not going to pay what the properties are worth. Um, well, in that case, I mean, and thanks for calling. I mean, in that case, the, the people should the, the people should challenge us. And like I say, most of, from what I understand, most of the homes that are going to be displaced by eminent domain, again, it, it's going to be for for the roadways and things like that. So I think it's probably an appropriate use of eminent domain. But at the same time, um, th- this is not the time. If you are forcing people out of homes that aren't subject to blight in order to widen the roadways for a private concern, I, I do think that you have every obligation to make sure you pay people fair market value and not try to nickel and dime the homeowners. Hopefully that won't happen. Let's see, Andrew and Greenfield text. I would probably be upset too, but can you realistically expect to find large enough areas without anyone being displaced? I feel for those affected, but I think this absolutely has to happen. Um, Yeah. Um, another one of our texts, I hope the homeowners get a big payout so they can start somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, I hope they get a, a fair payout. I mean, I think it's, and I think the hardest thing to do is going to be to assess what what is the value? How do you determine what the fair market value is? Is the fair market value what a little house in Mount Pleasant might have been three years ago? Or is it what is the value of the land um, as it impacts Foxconn, knowing that now this is going to be this huge business hub. Time will tell. It's 8.53. Big story number two is coming up. President Trump, figuratively figuratively speaking, throws a hand grenade into Obamacare, and people are upset. Stick around. It's 8.53. It's 8.56. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One final preseason test before the Bucks tip off their 50th anniversary season. Tonight, it's the annual Mac Fun game at the Bradley Center. And tune up against the Pistons. Ted Davis begins our Bucks shot coverage at 710 here on WTMJ. Okay, big story number two. 
President Trump has decided to take on health care reform himself in the in the wake of the failure of the Republican Congress to come up with a solution to repeal and replace Obamacare. President Trump, through executive order, has done two things or signaled that he's going to do two things this week, which will have massive make massive changes potentially to Obamacare. First of all, he is going to allow small employers to form associations and insurance to be sold across state lines. Let me explain what that means. Um, Under Obamacare, if you have an insurer that participates in one of these exchanges, there are all sorts of rules as to what type of coverage has to be offered. You have to have maternity care. You have to have this. You have to have that. Even if you don't want it or don't need it, you have to buy it if you participate in one of these exchanges. As a general rule, large employer-sponsored health plans, if you get your insurance through a big employer, those rules don't apply. Now, many employers do, in fact, offer a lot of the same type of coverages as Obamacare, but those rules don't apply. And so they can pick and choose a little bit more in coverage. What Trump wants to do is allow insurance companies to sell policies across state lines. So, for example, if you have a bunch of restaurant owners, individual restaurant owners, they could band together as part of an association for three or four states and buy insurance policies through the association, small employers. And those policies would not have to offer all the things that Obamacare requires. So that means that you could have more flexibility to pick and choose. If you don't need coverage for, um, I don't know, you don't need a birth control coverage, for example, maybe the insurer would offer you a policy that not that require, that you weren't required to pay for something that you would, in fact, never use. So that's how this would operate. Now, of course, a lot of people are saying, oh, this is, this is awful because this is going to be junk insurance. And what will happen is healthy people will not buy policies through Obamacare. They'll try to buy policies this way because they'll be cheaper. They won't have to pay for all sorts of stuff that they don't use, and as a result, Obamacare prices are going to go up. That's what Trump wants is planning to do, number one. Number two, what he announced he was going to do yesterday is he was going to eliminate the federal government's payments of subsidies. Right now, what happens is the federal government subsidizes the cost of insurance for people who make less than a certain amount, what's it, $75,000, $80,000 or whatever. Um, the president believes that he does not have the legal authority to do that. It is Congress that has to approve the subsidies. So he says, I'm going to pull back. I'm not going to contribute these subsidies. And without the subsidies, the cost of the policies under Obamacare are going to go through the roof. So these are his efforts, essentially, to dismantle Obamacare. As you might expect, heads are exploding. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is this going to do? Is this how we should be proceeding? It's 859. And I'm Jeff Wagner. It's 908. We're right in the middle of our three big things. But before that, Jane, before you go anywhere, this was our WTMJ Cares Week initiative, your rides and reins. 
Um, just the, the generosity of our listeners continues to just overwhelm, I, I think, everybody here. But let's give us an update. You've got something going on today that's very exciting. We do. Well, we amazingly, in just four days, we reached our goal of $23,000. Uh, by the way, WTMJ Cares presented by First Bank Financial Center. We're so grateful for that. In four days, last night by 6 o'clock, we had reached the goal. I couldn't believe it because starting out on Monday, I was genuinely like, this is such a long way to go. But thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone uh, who donated. Now Rides and Rains will stay open. That was the big concern. We needed the money for this ADA-compliant bathroom. Now we've got the cash for that. Then I got contacted by this anonymous donor who issued an anonymous donor challenge. She wants us to keep going. She wants us to keep going and raise enough money so that we can insulate the barn. Insulating the barn at Rides and Rains will mean that they can continue lessons for uh, for children and adults with special needs all year long because right now the riding program has to stop. Uh, our anonymous donor doing this in honor of her brother Scott Danford, who had special needs, and also her mom, who passed away recently. It's a $5,000 challenge, so we're trying to raise another $5,000 by noon today. And again, this is all going to go towards uh, insulating the barn and installing the heaters and all these other wonderful things that are involved with that. And just thank you, thank you, thanks so much to everyone it's just it's just it's astonishing so once again how do people contribute go to wtmj.com click on the rides and rains link there's a donate button there and that will take you to their gofundme page so we're trying to raise in response to this this anonymous donor who's come up with five grand another five grand to match that we were uh we right now we need four thousand two hundred and five dollars okay four thousand two hundred dollars by noon all right all right that is the mission you have laid down you have laid down the challenge all right that's great and it's a wonderful cause and i think um it just for people who see the way your eyes light up when we talk about this and what really got me the other day when you're talking about the kids and again as we've talked about before the children we're dealing with special needs children who have lots of different issues that life faces that they face in, in life that that most people don't and so for the child with down syndrome or autism i know they look forward to hey this is we get to go out on friday and ride the horse or whatever it makes a huge difference yeah it is and unfortunately again with the barn not being heated right now the 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 ride the the rides and the lessons have to come to an end in october and then they don't pick up again until may and much like jeff when when school is out you know and the kids may fall back a little bit and lose some of their progress while they're off during the summer the same thing happens with these riders so it would be enormously helpful if we could keep, keep this going all year long because like you say this is a big time marker for a lot of these kids mm-hmm. i know what day today is and tomorrow i get to go see spice right and it just and you you think my eyes light up you should see the kids eyes light up yeah. when when they're out there okay the challenge before noon we're trying to raise another 42 4300 bucks so be generous all right we are in the middle of our three big things congressman glenn grothman by the way coming up at nine thirty-five and um, we're talking about health care right now. If you want to see this exchange between a doctor in Florida at one of the urgent care centers, I call them the doc in the box things, and a patient, um, it's an amazing video, and we're going to talk about it. But if you want to see it, um, if you text the ER, the letters ER, to 414-799-1620, that's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line, we will we'll send you that link. I'll describe it, but if you want to see it, you can just get a head start on that part of the story. All right, right now we're talking about President Trump, who's really kind of thrown a hand grenade into the whole Obamacare thing. Yesterday, it announced he was going to implement rules which would allow insurers 
to sell insurance across state lines. He would allow, for example, let, let's say you're a small employer, you're, you're, you're a restaurant association, and you wanted to band with other restaurant associations across a region or across the country to you know, offer policies to you know, people, you know, the, the employers uh, that they could then distribute to their employees. This would allow that, but it would also allow those policies to not offer the full extent of coverages that the Obamacare exchanges force uh, people to offer. So the idea would be, um, well, okay, may- maybe you don't need birth control coverage. Well, then, then why should you have to pay for it? You could buy a policy tailored to your specific needs. Now, the fear is that if people can buy, uh, some people would say this is junk insurance that doesn't have all these coverages, healthier people who don't need all the other stuff mandated by Obamacare will gravitate towards this, leaving sicker people, um, the people that need or that want more stuff, they will end up having payer, paying higher premiums. That's number one. Number two is Obamacare is subsidized by payments that the government makes to the insurers. President Trump says he's going to eliminate those. He probably won't be able to do it for this year, but for, for next year. He's going to eliminate those. Um, he And the argument is Congress is the one, not the president, that has to make these payments. Congress hasn't appropriated the payments, so I'm not going to do it. The effect of this will be that premiums will end up going through the roof. 414-799-1620. I, I do, first of all, I agree with the president. I don't think the president unilaterally has the authority just to simply keep saying, we're going to give you more and more money. I think that's something that has to come from Congress. And I have always, and I know some people disagree with me, I have always objected to the Obamacare mandates that says you have to have this type of coverage, you have to have that type of coverage. I think people should be able to pick and choose. And for a 62-year-old couple whose childbearing years are well behind them, I don't think that they should have to buy birth control coverage. For example, I could give you other examples of that, but I don't think that they should have to do that. I think that they should be able to pick a policy that meets their needs. And if you don't need something, just like if you're buying automobile insurance and you don't need a particular type of coverage, why should you have to pay for it? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with David in Mequon. David, you're first. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Um, You know what? I I think um, I was explaining your call screener. I think it's twofold. I think it's great that People and companies are going to be able to have more choices. Um, unfortunately, uh, you know, the time period to do all this is, is at the end of the year, so I don't think you're going to see um, the companies be able to roll out the new plan right. uh, in time for next year. Right, but, and some of it requires some rulemaking changes, There's going to be, and right. there's going to be lawsuits and stuff, so I don't think this right. is going to happen immediately either. I think right. you're looking at at least a year down the road, right? Right. And, and then the, my next point is, um, as far as the subsidies, um, I was also thinking in my mind, you know, the companies will adjust. Um, if, if they're not going to get as much money for this, there may be some layoffs in their industry. But the same token, um, you know, right now, there, I, I think that the overall goal is, is to, again, competition, um, more choices, and the the market will figure it out eventually on its own. Well, and I'll tell you the other thing I, I think that's going on here, David, is is I think 
this is another effort by the president to force Congress to get its act together. I mean, I, I think that that's the other thing. I think he's saying, look, um, I, o- Obamacare as it exists is unsustainable. And I, the truth is, I think everybody would agree with that. People on the right and left uh, agree moving forward Obamacare is unsustainable. This is a way, I think, by him saying, okay, I'm going to pull back. I'm not going to do this. If you don't like this, you got to come up with a fix. And maybe this is something that at the end of the day does get Republicans and Democrats together figuring out what we're going to do with health care moving forward. Well, uh, the only thing I would disagree with you is I don't think the Democrats are interested in free market um, right. no. uh, pl- places or choices. They really do. They're still gunning for a single payer. Uh, unfortunately, we have some very liberal uh, Republicans that are kind of wary about uh, you know, in the same idea that, oh, my goodness, if we don't provide this, they're going to be out of luck. Right. When in actuality, um, you know, the individual should be given the choice to do what they have to do, rate or raise their deductible if they have to, or co-pays or whatever else. So the yeah. more flexibility, the, the better. A- absolutely. So. No, they, and, and see, and I, I mean, this is why I, I am very sorry, the latest effort to, to replace and reform Obamacare failed in the Senate because it would have it would have allowed the states to deal with things. And I know I repeat myself on this, but the truth is, I believe in Wisconsin, we were much better off before Obamacare. You know, you had high risk pools, one for low income people and one for people who um, weren't low income that dealt with the pre existing condition coverages and those type of issues. And in Wisconsin, but you still had the right to choose different types of policies. There was a degree of competition. The prices were reasonable. Right now, you've lost a lot of the different options. There's one insurer. You know, in, in many parts of this state and in many parts of the country you you don't have you don't have choices you don't get to choose different health plans you have one insurer that's participating on the exchange that wasn't the way it worked before in wisconsin obamacare has made things i think a lot worse and i think again this is one of the ways that you try to uh affect affect change joe in pewaukee joe you're on 620 wtmj good morning Yes, good morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Is this What is the president doing here, and is this going to be catastrophic for people who are getting their health insurance through Obamacare? Well, I, I agree with what he's doing, and, and my reasoning is this. Uh, we already support, we already subsidize Obamacare all day, every day. That's written, written into the legislation. It's written into the law, and taxpayers subsidize that coverage. Yes. Unfortunately, Obamacare is written is unsustainable. So as companies made that apparent, instead of rewriting legislation, Obama went above and beyond the law right. to sort of hand money out the back door to bribe people to stay around. Right, and, and, uh, conti- and, the, and the government continues to do that, paying these massive right. subsidies that aren't authorized by the law. You're exactly right. So, so we have to have a country of law. We have to follow what's written in the law and if it's not sustainable, we have to rewrite it to make it sustainable. We right. can't just get around and ignore it. Yeah. So I, I, I agree a thousand percent with Trump. It's time to stop the illegal payments of cash out the back door 
and start discussing how we make it a sustainable system. Right, and that and that's his point with the payments. You're you're exactly right because again, like I said, there, there's the two issues. There's the one of the sale of insurance policies across state lines, and the other one is that 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 exact issue. He looks at it and says it's it, it's sort of like Joe what what he's concluded with the Dreamers, where he's absolutely, in my opinion, correct, regardless of the the merits about whether or not people think that you know kids. If you came into this country illegally as a kid brought by your parents, you should be able to stay or not. The the, the point that Trump is making is, look, th- this is not just something that the president can order. If Congress wants to do this, God bless him. Congress should do it. And that's and this is the same sort of thing. He said, look, if Congress wants to approve approve continuing massive subsidies and increasing these subsidies to insurance companies, God bless them. Let them do that, and then I'll decide whether to sign it or not. But that's not how it works right now. It's just the president ordering this money to be paid, and that's that's illegal. I think that's unconstitutional. And, and I think these payments just show, just highlight how bad this legislation actually was and how it is going to spiral out of control and eventually die on its own. Um, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. So, I mean, it's complicated. I get it. There's a lot of nuance here. But what I'm hoping, again, is by doing things like the president is doing, what it's going to do is it's going to force us to confront the issue that the Affordable Care Act is not sustainable, that it is not working, and come up with some sort of reasonable solution. And like I say, for people in Wisconsin, I continue to believe we would be much, much better off if we rolled the clock back to the pre-Obamacare days. It is 9.22. Big story number three is coming up, and we're going to be joined by Congressman Glenn Grothman in about 15 minutes. Stick around. It's 924, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. He said if he won re-election last year, it would be his final campaign for public office. Does Senator Ron Johnson still feel the same way a year later? Or if politics of Washington led him to reconsider? Find out the answer when he joins Wisconsin's Afternoon News at 4.50 today. Again, we're going to be talking to Congressman Glenn Grothman, who is, in fact, running for re-election next year. Um, He'll be with us in about 10 minutes or so. All right, big story number three. Sanctuary cities. All right. There is a bill moving through the state legislature um, targeting sanctuary cities and counties. The bill would require local law enforcement agencies to cooperate with federal immigration authorities. Oh, the horror. Oh, the horror. And it would help apprehend dangerous criminals who are also immigrants living in the country illegally. All right, they had a Senate, they had a hearing in front of the state Senate yesterday. You had the the illegal alien support group, Voces de la Frontera. Um, they brought 500, they bust 500 opponents of the bill to the Capitol from all over the area. People screaming about this, saying, oh, this is just going to be absolutely the terrible. This is going to be awful. At which point in time? You know, at some point in time, you, you just kind of wonder, and I understand that it's simplistic, but what part of illegal don't don't we understand? The idea that a city or a county in the state of Wisconsin could take it upon themselves to say, we're not going to comply with detainer requests. The detainer is something where, for example, somebody is arrested for a crime. And then law enforcement finds out that the person is in the country illegally. So immigration puts what is a detainer on them, saying if the person makes bail, if they're ready to be released, 
notify us, and we will come pick them up, and we will start deportation proceedings, or at least decide on this. Well, there's some communities around there who say, well, we don't think we should do that. So if somebody gets arrested for, I don't know, armed for carjacking, say, and they're going to be released by the Milwaukee County catch-and-release system, all right, and it turns out they're in the country illegally, don't we want don't we want immigration to get involved? In what alternative reality does any local official think that it is in the interest of the general public not to notify immigration authorities that somebody who is in this country illegally has committed a serious crime and is about to be released? I mean, really, when you think about it like this, it's just almost mind-boggling that anybody would oppose efforts to crack down on the so-called sanctuary cities type of thing. I don't know how this is going to play out because, like I say, the illegal illegal immigration advocacy groups are trying to mobilize this. But when you you break down what's going on here, this is another situation where I I think the silent majority of Wisconsinites just scratch their head and say, well, of course law enforcement should be cooperating on different levels to make sure that if you have people who are here illegally, at, at least Immigration authorities are notified about it. It's 928. When we come back in a couple minutes, we'll be talking to Congressman Glenn Grothman about Obamacare, President Trump, tax reform, and a lot more. Stick around. Um, that will be doing that. And also, Jane Matinere, you're, you're here a little bit early. Oh, i got to take a break. I'm one break behind, and then we're going to get an update. All right. I'm still just a little bit out. I was, you know, I was out late last night. You know, I'm not used to being out on school nights and stuff. So it's like, okay, take the commercial break before the news. Get an update. It's 928. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 936. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're joined live by Congressman Glenn Grothman, who represents the 6th Congressional District of Wisconsin, Ozaki, Sheboygan, Manitowoc Counties, Fond du Lac, uh, Columbia, portions of Winnebago. Interesting, long district. Congressman Grothman, good morning. A big district to cover, but we're back in Wisconsin. Glad to be out of Washington. Took some votes yesterday we'll talk about working on the budget, working on taxes. Let, let me start off. Right the, the, in the, the segment before you, you joined us, I was talking about uh, what the president has said he wants to do with Obamacare over the, the through executive order over the course of the, the next couple weeks in the next year Uh, essentially allow policies to be sold across state lines and end at least the for the time being the the subsidies to insurers um just by executive order what do you think about what the president's talking about doing well i think the goal the eventual goal is a little bit less government regulation in health care and the feeling is without government regulation you eventually will be able to buy some policies for less cost I mean, the problem throughout this whole debate, people talk about who's going to make the payments, the employer, the employee, the government. But the real problem is the cost of health care spiraling out of control. I think the feeling is if you can buy across state lines, um, if you can access maybe new insurers, uh, maybe in some cases uh, get out from under some individual state mandates, companies will be able to offer insurance for less. The frustrating thing is if you talk to so many people out there, um, you know, when you're paying over $1,000 a month for insurance 
and you've got a five or ten thousand dollar deductible. That's so different than what America was fifteen or twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also in now you were in the state legislature before you you be, went to Congress. It's also so different than it was in Wisconsin, where you know before Obamacare, you know we, we had our own high risk pools, the one for people who were low income, the other for others. It, it had more choice. It had lower costs. I just look at this and say people in Wisconsin, at least in my opinion, are so much worse off now than they were six or seven years ago. What we were doing worked. Right, right. And I'll tell something else. This whole idea with Obamacare when it kicked in, there were individual employers uh, combining employer-based clinics, self-insurance, HSAs, providing assistance to employees as to where you could get procedures done for less who were cutting their health care costs. And uh, over time, more and more employers were doing this. And then Obamacare jumped in, the Medicaid rolls shot up, and we had a big mess. And somehow we've got to get back to where we were, where uh, the mm-hmm. employers were picking up. Uh, we're doing a better and better job of, of controlling the costs, where there was more and more information getting out there as to where the cheapest place, both the best and cheapest place was to get your hip done, whatever. And uh, and so we kind of went off the rails eight years ago, and now Donald Trump's trying to get us back to where we should be. Um, one of the, the things that I, I know people in Congress are still hopeful that can be accomplished before the end of the year, and I know there's a lot of pressure on the Republican Congress to deliver, would be tax reform. Um, Glenn, where do we stand on that right now? Okay. The first thing that's going to have to be done, and, and as you know, many things don't get done because it requires 60 votes in the Senate. There are some things we can do with 51 votes, but first of all, we have to pass what they call reconciliation instructions to be able to do that with 51 votes. And we anticipate sometime, I think in the next three weeks, maybe sooner, passing what we call a budget, it's part of a budget, um, in which the Senate is allowed to do things with 51 votes. And one of those will be tax reform. Now, there are a variety of plans floating around out there. This is what I will tell your audience, though. There is so much emotion on this issue, which people are saying we have to vote for this plan, and so much emotion saying it's a bad plan. When I talk to the people in charge of putting this together, there are a whole lot of questions that have yet to be answered. So you really can't, the, the details have yet to be filled in. We do not yet know what, for example, deductions and credits are going to disappear. Mm-hmm. We do not yet know they want a new separate business rate. We don't know what this what the definition of a business is yet. We don't know when where the new tax rates, you know, when the upper rate differentiates from the middle rate. We don't yet know where that is. Um, there are people who want a separate rate for investment income. People want to say we should pay less taxes on interest income than if you work for a living. I don't buy into that, but those people are out there. Um, it hasn't yet be, been determined whether there's going to be a separate rate for investment income. So... There's a lot of debate yet going on. People or leadership wants this to be what they call a revenue-neutral bill. In other words, something that there is not less tax revenue coming into the government. And the benefit of that is the tax changes will be permanent. There was a tax cut under George Bush in 2001 or 2002, but you'll recall that tax cut only lasted 10 years. It was a cut. It wasn't a revenue-neutral thing. So... Right now, the effort is to see if we can get more money in to a certain extent by closing some loopholes in the earned income tax credit, but overall have things being even. One of my major goals is to make sure we look out for the middle class. There have been plans out there that, quite frankly, I felt 
seem to benefit the uh, people who aren't working that hard and benefit people who have, a, have been very, very successful in the middle class. Mm-hmm. The working middle class seems to be uh, left on the sideline. I think Donald Trump weighed in on there, and I'm weighing in on there. Uh, and I can see why in Congress, now that I'm here, they sometimes don't look out for the middle class. You always have politicians running around saying, I'm helping the poor. And you always have politicians listening to the uh, very wealthy. And then the average guy doesn't do as well. And I think throughout this debate, we're going to have to look at some hypotheticals and see how the average guy is doing as they roll out these tax plans. I'm very glad to hear you say that because I know one of the ideas that was being thrown around is the, the idea that in an effort to try to be revenue neutral, one of the things they were considering doing is eliminating the ability to deduct property taxes and to deduct state taxes. Now, in a state like Wisconsin, where you have so much on the property tax, if you itemize, I'm thinking, okay, that that's going to have a, a huge potential impact. Now, I guess you'd have to balance that about how much are they going to increase the standard deduction. But without really sitting down with a pencil and paper and doing the math, um, you can't tell is that going to hurt middle class people? Is it going to help middle class people? That's where the devil is in the details with some of these ideas. Uh, you're absolutely right. Now, part of it is simplification is a benefit to itself. It's nice if you you don't have to pay less money for a tax preparer, don't have to go to a tax preparer at all. But, you know, like I said, there was an original plan out there saying that if you are living off interest income, you pay half the taxes of somebody who is working as a welder or a truck driver. I don't know how. One can justify saying, if I inherit a bunch of money and I'm living off interest income, I should pay less taxes than some guys welder on a third shift. But there were people out there who were proposing that. And uh, so we're going to have to throw out all sorts of hypotheticals. And remember that simplification is a benefit of itself. It's nice if you can do your taxes on a postcard, but we have to make sure that the average guy is looked out for. Do you think something's going to get done before the end of the year? I think we're going to get something out of the House by the end of the year. For a variety of reasons, the Senate always goes slower. Got it. I know uh, this week a, a bill that's very near and dear to your heart, The uh, the they, they call it the Dr. Chris Kilpatrick Whistleblower Protection Act, being considered by the House. Talk a little bit about that, if you would. Okay, right. I don't know if your listeners are aware, and this was a big victory for Senator Ron Johnson. Uh, Chris Kirkpatrick was a doctor, a psychologist over at the VA Medical Center in Toma. Um, he tried to alert people that very inappropriate things were going on over there, and it's frequently happened, too often happens in a government bureaucratic situation. Rather than saying we've got to change these horrible things that are resulting in people dying, they say, why are you bringing this to light? <laughs> Shut up. And uh, they wound up firing Dr. Kirkpatrick over there. He wound mm-hmm. up killing himself after he was fired. Uh, just a horrible situation. And is one of the reasons why some of these bad things go on in government and they aren't, aren't dealt with for a long period of time. So, uh, Senator Johnson got a bill through in which we are now going to have actions taken against these whistleblowers, something that's long overdue. You're not going to be able to delve into a whistleblower's personal file, uh, to look up their medical history and uh, try to use that against them. And this is something that, uh, you know, is not only true in this well-known case that happened in Toma, I'm on something called the Government Oversight Committee. You, I know, on this show have dealt with the Fast and Furious scandal. Right. When people try to bring the Fast and Furious scandal to light, you think the bureaucracy said, oh, my goodness, this is a horrible thing. No, the bureaucracy said we've got to punish the guy who's bringing it to light. 
Um, there were horrific sexual abuse scandals in the Department of Interior, the National Park System, just horrible, horrible stuff. And, of course, what happened to the people who were bringing attention to sexual abuse? They were the ones who were put on the spot. So it is well past time when you have a government employee with the integrity to stand up and say horrific things are going on uh, in the National Park Service, horrific things are going on in the VA, we have to protect those employees. And I hope this bill goes far enough. But it's a problem that I think disproportionately happens in government because, quite frankly, government always has a monopoly. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's one reason why you should never want government to do something uh, when you could get the private sector to do it. And it's just a horrible thing that happened in the VA here. Kudos to Senator Johnson. I was a co-sponsor of the bill in the House. I was proud to vote for it yesterday. And hopefully this will protect a lot of people in the future. Congressman Glenn Grothman, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm sure we'll be talking to you very soon. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Absolutely. Congressman Glenn Grothman, who again represents the 6th Congressional District, uh, geographically a pretty large chunk, but it's Ozaki County, um, a, a portion, and it then runs west to um, uh, to uh, Washera County and runs north um, up along the lakefront till you kind of get towards the Green Bay area. Uh, Glenn's a good guy. It is 948. All right, a federal judge says, hey, you're just being too tough on the juvenile delinquents that are in prison. Another story as to why this federal judge is out to lunch. Stick around. It's 948. It's 951. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're going to be talking about this story involving the uh, emergency room or urgent care doctor who goes off on a patient. If you want to see the cell phone video, text the letters ER, like the old TV show, ER, Two four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, and we'll send you a link to the video. This is the chickens coming home to roost. I, I have said this before: that it, the juvenile justice system in Wisconsin is a complete and total mess. In order to go to the juvenile detention facility at Lincoln Hills, which is north of Wausau, we are not sending kids there for TPing um, houses. This this is the worst of the worst. And I understand there's some people who say, how can you talk about a 16-year-old like that? Well, we have dangerous, violent juveniles who, if not already career criminals, are well on their way to being career criminals. It is almost impossible to get juveniles detained. The people that are in these facilities are dangerous people. Oh, how can you say they're dangerous 16-year-olds? Because they're dangerous. And what's happened is you've had a number of the well-intentioned do-gooders who have been saying, oh, this is awful. These prison conditions are terrible. Look, they're using pepper spray on these juveniles. They're putting them in handcuffs. They're using solitary confinement. Well, okay, and look, I I understand we want to be as touchy-feely as possible. But the problem is I don't think that among some people there is a grasp of how dangerous these juveniles are. It's not like leave it to beaver. It's just not. So you have this federal judge out of Madison who came down with this ruling saying, okay, we're going to have to restrict the ability to use pepper spray and solitary confinement and restraints. And ever since he did that, in what is completely and totally predictable, the dangerous inmates at these facilities have gotten more and more out of control because they have been emboldened by this because they know that this district judge in Madison, this federal court judge who – 
would never live next door to any of the people who are in jail. His orders tying the hands of prison officials have simply emboldened the criminals, the dangerous offenders, because they know that there's not as much stuff. The word gets out, hey, they can't use restraints. They're not supposed to use pepper spray here. We can just it's we can do whatever we want. And now this is the latest example. A teacher up at the prison was sent to the hospital after an inmate punched her in the face. It happened Wednesday. Long-time teacher, a woman who is under five feet tall, um, you know, ended up getting punched out and attacked by this particular inmate. She was in the hospital. People familiar with this say that she continued to be in the hospital after being hit in the face. Photos circulating on social media show her with a swollen eye, black and purple. Um, The particular inmate apparently had been involved in another recent attack in which a staff member had a tooth knocked out. Um, the inmate is either 16 or 17 years old. But again, here here is the problem of what is going on. And I understand we have these folks who still have this image. Well, they shouldn't be pepper spraying the, these, these poor young darlings, or they, they shouldn't be putting them in solitary confinement. And in a perfect world, that that's true. I, I get it. But in a perfect world, you wouldn't have dangerous 15 and 16 and 17-year-olds that have to be taken off the streets. And again, that's what I want to emphasize here. Whenever you read this stuff about the prison abuses or the alleged prison abuses, what you have to understand is it's almost damn impossible as a juvenile to get yourself thrown into a place like Lincoln Hills. The juvenile justice judges do everything they possibly can, particularly in places like Milwaukee County, to avoid having juveniles held accountable. How many cars do you have to steal before you even get referred to a detention facility? So the people, the 130 or however many of the the boys that are in Lincoln Hills, for example, they've done really, really bad stuff. And as a general rule, while we always hope that there's going to be rehabilitation, as a general hope, as a general rule, by the time you get to these facilities, you you're you're out of control and if they can figure out a way to you know bring you under control that's great but the truth of the matter is many people are at this facility because society needs to be protected and now you have these federal judges who are saying well i just don't like the way these 16 year olds are being treated and so what happens you take away some of the abilities of prison officials to deal on a daily basis with the violence that is going on in these facilities. And what happens? Well, teachers end up getting attacked. And the problem is this is going to get worse before it gets better. And, again, it's I, I lay it clearly, first of all, on the doorstep of you know a juvenile justice system that, number one, is out of control and doesn't allow us to have consequences earlier on so people are emboldened. Steal car after car after car. We just keep putting you back out on, on the street. And then finally, you end up assaulting somebody, killing somebody, doing whatever, beating somebody up desperately, so we finally have to take you off the street to protect society. Well, maybe if we had consequences earlier, it would be less likely that the people would be doing the things they're doing. But then you get once you get them into Lincoln Hills, you've got a whole bunch of dangerous people together. And yes, I understand they're 16 years old, but they're still dangerous, and they are attacking each other, and they are attacking staff members, and they're attacking the teachers, and they're attacking the guards, and the response of federal judges who really have never spent, you know, any appreciable period of time 
dealing with these types of inmates is, well, let's not use as many restraints. Okay, real real nice. You explain that to the guards that are being attacked and the teachers that are being hospitalized. Um, you know, walk a couple days in their shoes, perhaps, before you issue some of the rulings you do. It is 9.57. Just a couple minutes, we're going to be talking about this video. Again, if you want to see it, I'll describe it, but if you want to see it, you can text the letters ER, as in emergency room, ER to 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Stick around. It's 1010. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right. This is the video that has gone viral. Um, if you want to see it again, if you text uh, the, the letters ER for emergency room to 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We, we will share this with you. But but here's here's what happens. And it's uh, it, there is there is growing tension nowadays. We're, and when, when you're sick in particular. You know, it's just, you just, you want to feel better. You just kind of want to go home and lay down and things like that. So this happened Monday evening at one of, I call them the dock in the box. They're the urgent care clinics. Um, this is in Gainesville, Florida. And let me describe the, the video for you. Um, here's the way the Washington Post reports it. A doctor in northern Florida is under criminal investigation after he was seen on video shouting at a patient to get the hell out of an urgent care clinic, then apparently grabbing the woman's daughter's cell phone, which was recording the incident. The guy's name is Peter Galugli. He's a physician, again, at this dock in the box, at Gainesville After Hours Clinic. Um, what happens is the woman is is sick. I don't know if she's got the flu or, or whatever. And she makes an appointment to come into the urgent care center at 6.30. It's an hour and 15 minutes later, and she still hasn't been been treated and she's carrying on and she's she's complaining let me read you how the washington post responds this um so um the the woman who is unhappy that she hasn't been really been seen to be treated for an hour and 15 minutes is kind of causing a scene in the emergency room the doctor comes out and this is what's captured on the cell phone shouts at her are you kidding at me are you kidding me um reminding her he said well you know you have been seen i i tested i i took a urine test from you um you think that takes three seconds i don't know how long it think it takes she says do you want to be seen or not she says that she was miserable she wanted to go home and get into bed he says fine then get the hell out get your money and get the hell out then the patient says he's being rude he yells get the blank although he doesn't say blank out of my office now now, the woman's daughter is recording the incident on the cell phone, and then um, she says, what's your name? At that point in time, he appears to grab the cell phone out of her hand and walk away with it, saying, you're recording this. Um, she then, they ultimately retrieve the cell phone. She posts the video of this on Monday, saying that she had made an appointment for 6.30, said she was in severe pain, she was throwing up in the trash can, she had still not been seen by 7.45 at, at night. Um, she says she requested that her copay be returned to her so she'd go home to bed and then seek treatment elsewhere the next day. She said the doctor was mad, and when he saw it was being recorded, he snatched the phone from his daughter's hands and shoved her when she tried to get it back. Um, 
this physician, this is what he says. He says, look, this is being taken out of context. The, the video only shows the final moments of what he claims was an hour-long argument. He says, during the time this woman was in the clinic, she had become increasingly belligerent and abusive to the office staff, cursing them and threatening them with violence because she was unwell and had been waiting to be seen by me for more than an hour. He says that even after her co-payment had been returned to her, she would not leave. He says when he walked into the waiting room to speak with her, um, they cursed her and threatened her um, as they had done with the office staff. He says, at the end, at the very end of events, I most regrettably lost my temper and spoke to the woman in a most unprofessional manner. I make no excuses for my unacceptable behavior. Uh, the urgent Claire, Claire Care Clinic uh, posts an incident report and written testimonies from witnesses, uh, essentially saying that, um, that the woman was abusive. Uh, the woman issued a statement the other night saying, Look, um, I'm employed. I don't do drugs. I wanted an antibiotic. To those who support me, you have my heartfelt thanks. To those who know me, you know this was uncalled for. Um, And those of you who don't are being rude and hurtful to my children. If you were there, you'd sing a different tune. But I guess the question really to me, what is so interesting about this, is you have a woman who's sick. She goes in, and she's waiting and waiting and waiting. Now, um, she apparently, they they did take a a urine sample from her, but she's still waiting an hour and 15 minutes later, and she's not not feeling well, and she's upset, and she's frustrated that she's not being seen by the doctor. And at least some of the witnesses say, yeah, she was complaining loudly, and she was being somewhat abusive. The doctor responds, get the blank out of my my office. Get out of my emergency room. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is my reaction to this. I First of all, I'm not one of these guys that believes that the customer is always right. I mean, sometimes you just you have to fire customers. You, you, you do. They're just, for whatever reason, they're more trouble than they're worth, or you're not going to make them happy. So, I mean, I, I think there is a situation, and there is a point where if you have somebody that's sitting in a waiting room or whatever and is being abusive, you, you have every right to say, okay, I, I'm sorry if, if you, we're going to get to you as soon as we can, um, but, you know, we're not going to tolerate this. And, and I, I think there, there is a way of doing that. Having said that, though, I guess I, I just think it is incredibly, incredibly unacceptable and unprofessional for a doctor to come out and to get in this kind of exchange with with a, a patient. And, and candidly, I mean, I, I understand why this woman is frustrated. I mean, she's got an appointment at 630 at this urgent care thing, and it's 745. It's an hour and 15 minutes later, and she really hasn't been seen other than, you know, they take a urine sample and they're waiting for the test results. All right, 414-799-1620. Was the doctor justified in responding to the patient in the way that he did? His story is she was belligerent. She was sick. She was throwing up. She was unhappy that we couldn't get to her for essentially an hour and 15 minutes other than to take a urine sample. Does that justify the doctor's reaction? 414-799-1620. My, my, answer, is, my answer is no. And I guess if you're not going to be able to figure out how to deal with unwell, unhappy, and agitated patients, 
maybe you should be thinking about a different sort of career than working in an urgent care facility where my guess is this kind of stuff happens on a daily basis. All right, 414-799-1620. But was the doctor justified? I, I think not. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1017. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1020, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And I want to confess, one of the reasons I'm, I'm somewhat sympathetic, maybe more so than I would otherwise be to this lady, is is I, I, over the last few years I've spent more time than I want in hospital emergency rooms or waiting rooms or things like that. And when you're there and, and you're sick or you're bringing in somebody who's, who's really ill – um, it, and I understand that there's a triage sort of procedure, but you, you, you need your loved one or you need to be seen relatively quickly. In this case, the woman made an appointment for 630. It's 745. And with the exception of taking a urine test, she hadn't been seen by the doctors. She's crabby. Um, I have no doubt that she was complaining loudly about that. Um, I, I think this doctor's reaction was completely and totally inappropriate. And if you're working in one of these urgent care facilities or emergency rooms or whatever, you got to figure out how – I'm sure that you deal with this type of thing all the time. And this lady wasn't a crackhead. This lady was somebody who was just flat-out sick who was frustrated that she wasn't being able to be seen. And I, I think the doctor's got to be more professional than cursing at her. Joanne in Hartford. Joanne, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Um, I agree. I think the, doc- the doctor was totally out of uh, hand. Um, I don't think it should have gotten that far for the doctor to have to come out and scream. Um, I worked in a clinic for many years. I'm retired now. And uh, when we would have a patient that would be unsatisfied with for whatever reason, rather than letting them get upset in the waiting room, someone, either the office manager or somebody in charge, needs to get that patient back in the room and talk to them and settle them down and give them some attention so that it doesn't get as bad as it did. So this doctor came out. He should have never come out. That's very unprofessional. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, I, I got to believe, I mean, if you worked in these type of villages, I, I got to believe this happens on a regular basis. You get you get sick people who want to be seen immediately, and I understand there's a triage procedure there, but I, I got to imagine I got to imagine this is not necessarily an uncommon thing, especially for somebody who's sick and is throwing up in a wastebasket, who's made an appointment at 6:30 and it's 7:45, and they still haven't really been treated. I got to imagine th- those people, those patients, do get frustrated. Most definitely, and it does happen a lot. You're right, and for whatever reason, you know, maybe not that they're waiting long, but just upset with something in general. But you don't let them vent and get so upset out in the waiting room, or it's getting everybody else upset, you need to get them out of that waiting room, into a room, explain to them maybe why the wait is so long, but give them some satisfaction that someone took them under their wing and uh, is helping them out. Yeah, it's exactly right. And it's just the way, thanks to call, it's just the way that you deal with situations like that. Now, the the doctor, um, he, he says, okay, this, and this is, I, I appreciate this. The doctor says, look, this only captures a, a a little bit of this. This is the woman had been abusive. This had been going on for, you know, the better part of an hour, um, and, and so you know she'd been becoming increasingly you know agitated with this type of stuff. Um, so I, I and, and only you know you didn't see the stuff that she was saying beforehand. Well, okay, that that's probably true, but that if you're the doctor, you're the one that's supposed to 
I don't try to make this issue get better or try to make this issue go away, not get into a screaming match with a sick patient. Get out. We're going to give you the money back. You know, get just get out of my room. I think it is the height of unprofessional. Now, the doctor's being investigated for criminal charges for grabbing the woman's her daughter's cell phone while she was uh, filming this. I, I don't think that this is a case that the authorities necessarily need to be involved in but if i'm if i'm the employer of this doctor at the dock in the box i think i'm seriously asking whether or not this guy's bedside manner is such that he, he really perhaps should be considering another occupation in the field of medicine it's ten twenty four. this is jeff wagner 620 wtmj it's ten twenty six. jeff wagner 620 wtmj it is the final week of the high school football regular season and our preps live coverage is focuses squarely on Waukesha Catholic Memorial as it battles defending champion Waukesha West. Our coverage can be found at WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app starting at 640 this evening. All right, Gru, who's producing the show today and always um, alert. We are about to go where angels fear to tread. As long as we are talking uh, about doctors. There's a, there's a story that caught my attention in the, the Washington Post. Measles had, has, had essentially been eradicated in this country. Um, at, at the turn of the century, in the year 2000, we did not have measles. And, and the reason we, we did not have measles in this country was essentially that people got their kids vaccinated, and the vaccinations stopped people from getting measles. Starting, oh, in the late 1990s and around 2000, there there started to become this kind of anti-vaccine movement. And more and more people made decisions not to vaccinate their kids. And as a result, measles has has made a a comeback. Um, And one of the things that they are are finding is that um, there, I mean, there have been thousands of cases of measles reported in the last 15 years. In most cases, what happens is you have somebody who comes into the United States from outside the country where like measles vaccinations and stuff, some other country where where they're not as up on vaccinations. Somebody comes in and they're carrying measles. And what happens is they then expose themselves. That's what they think. Remember, there's a measles outbreak at Disneyland a couple years ago. What they think is it was somebody from another country who came in and is at Disneyland. So they're a carrier. And then they are in contact with a lot of people, young people in particular, who haven't been vaccinated, and they all get sick, and then it, it ends up starting to, to spread. But it's been that this whole, you know, there's a new study out in the Journal of the American Medical Association that, that says um, that the reason why we are seeing major outbreaks of measles is, once again, it's being driven by the failure to vaccinate. And as a result, you have people that are being exposed to this. Now, in most cases, in most cases, measles, even before we eradicated it, it was a common childhood disease. And for most people, you get measles when you're sick, when you're a kid, you know, you're uncomfortable for a week or so, and then you you get better and you go on with your life and you've got this immunity. The problem, though, is there are people who can't be vaccinated. 
because maybe they're too young to have the vaccinations. Maybe they've got issues with their immune system or, or whatever. So if they're exposed to somebody who has been exposed to somebody with measles, it, it then can become not just, oh, this is a simple childhood disease. This can become, again, a life-threatening situation. And almost all the medical literature, again, attributes this to people who are making the decision not to vaccinate their children. In California, you must, if you are going to send your child to a public school, you must have your kid vaccinated unless there is a medical reason why the child shouldn't be. But most states, including Wisconsin, you can opt out for religious beliefs. You can opt out simply because you don't want it. I mean, it, it's that the rule says the kids are supposed to be vaccinated. But if mom and dad say, well, we just we just don't want to do this, mom and dad can opt out of this. All right. Let's go where angels fear to tread. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Absent a medical or a strong religious reason why your children aren't vaccinated, I think it is incredibly irresponsible not to vaccinate your children, period. 414-799-1620. And to the extent that the laws need to be changed to require people, if you're going to send your kids particularly to public schools, unless you've got a really, really good reason, I think the kids should be vaccinated. And I think, actually, I almost never say this, but I think California is moving in the right direction with their law. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, Paul sends me a text. Jeff, Jeff, if you dig a little deeper, um, you might realize that the vaccination drive is being powered by vaccination companies who are simply trying to make money. Heavy sigh. When infants were born 20-some years ago, there were only a couple vaccinations that were recommended. Now there are literally over 43 vaccinations recommended for an infant. This is just crazy. No, thank you. All right. Now, I I don't want to get into, and I I think it's legitimate to say, do you have too many vaccinations? Do you give them, you know, do you concentrate them too much? But that's different than saying we're not going to vaccinate our kids for measles or for polio or things like that. But let's even not talk about polio. Let's talk about something like measles, which was essentially eradicated. And a simple vaccination makes this whole thing go away. But by not vaccinating kids, you expose people who can't be vaccinated or you expose people who are too young to be vaccinated to a disease that can be uncomfortable, but can also, I mean, cause some sort of severe problems. And I guess my question is, to what end? Uh, Tim in Muskego. Tim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I was vaccinated as a child, and um, even the one thing that I got was whooping cough, and I was vaccinated for that. And I think a lot of people don't understand that you can still contract uh, some disease even with the vaccination. However, what it does is it minimizes the damage that that, yes. and that's what it's. It's not about getting rid of it entirely. It's about in the event that you do get it, it's about minimizing the effects of it. And also, it's irresponsible of the public around you because if your child does happen to catch it, and then they pass it along, I mean that's no different. I mean. That's just yeah. being irresponsible to the community as well. And, like, I agree with that guy who said about the 43. Right. Yeah, you don't need all 43, but get the major ones. Right, e- exactly. And, and, again, I think it's one of these things that you sit there and you talk to your pediatrician and you figure out, 
are, are, and, and I know they combine them, and I understand that there's some people who aren't, I, aren't anti-vaccine, but they don't like the fact that you know that they're in such a that, that you combine some of these vaccines and you do them in such a concentrated you know period of time. But but that see here I have a text here, and this is from one of our listeners, Jeff. There's been a lot of research done showing connections between vaccine and autism. No. No, no, no. This is the Jenny McCarthy, you know, showing up. This is some discredited study that they've now walked back. No, there, there's not there, there's not a connection between these vaccines and autism. That is just, it's not even junk science. It's just one of these sort of wives' tales that, out, that were out there. There was a discredited study that came out and implied that. And then you have people like Jenny McCarthy, the actress, who go on TV and say, well, you know, I, I have a child that's autistic, and um, now he was vaccinated, and I believe that there's some causation between it. Medical science will tell you no. Now, I understand that there are some children out there for whom they can't get the vaccines. But that's why we have everyone else vaccinated to protect those children who are out there. And I guess I just think it it is ear. It is irresponsible. Um, here I have a, this is from uh, Jamie. She writes, I'm a mother of two and I could not imagine not vaccinating my kids. There are so many things I cannot protect them from. Why wouldn't I take every opportunity to protect them from what I, I can? Yeah, I guess that's the, that's the attitude that I would have about this as well. But again, the, the important thing that, that's out there the important thing that's out there is the fact that you do need this kind of herd mentality that, that's there. We eradicated this disease, and, and now it is making a comeback because people watch TV and they see the Jenny McCarthy's of the world, or they believe some of this hysteria that's out there. Obviously, you want to consult with your kid's pediatrician. Obviously, if your child has some sort of allergy or some sort of issue, well, then Clearly, the child shouldn't be forced to have a vaccination, but that is the vast that's the vast minority of situations. Most people, it's just, well, I read something and I don't want the vaccine. You know, our last caller was talking about how that the vaccine doesn't necessarily prevent you from getting it. It just minimizes the problems like with measles. Well, the, the outbreak, you know, like the latest study, and I'm looking at the study again that was published in this medical journal. Um, the latest study shows that of the people that they analyzed um, who were who got vac who con- contracted measles? What they find is seventy to seventy five percent had been unvaccinated. So I mean, it's not a guarantee that it's going to work. But at the same time, you know, medical science makes these advances, and we have people who just for whatever reasons make the decision that they don't want to take advantage of it. And if if your pediatrician is warning you about that, that that's fine, I guess. But at the same time. Don't let junk science or what you might see on Jerry Springer drive your decision not to have your kid vaccinated. It's 1040. This is Jeff Wagner. 1043, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Um, we're right in the middle of this uh, of Jane Matinair's WTMJ Cares Rise and Reigns campaign, and people have been so incredibly generous. We have an anonymous donor who um, has offered $5,000 as part of like this challenge, and we're trying to raise an extra $5,000 to match the anonymous donor's amount. Um, we still we were hoping to do this by noon. We still still need a couple grand more. So people have been very generous, but um, check it out. Rides and range. You can go to wtmj.com. You can click the donate now thing. It is a wonderful, wonderful cause. All right. It's always interesting to me what generates a, a huge re- response, and um, 
whether it's you know e- after a show, whether it's emails, and, and sometimes it's the big topics we talk about, and other times it's the smaller ones. So Gru, who's producing the show today, yesterday, you know, you know what the topic was, and we we just discussed it briefly. That has generated just a huge number of emails and all to me. Sweetest day. Now, now here's what happened yesterday. I was um, listening to it, it was one of the news broadcasts, and, and we had an uh, an advertiser that was talking about Sweetest Day, which is coming up um, a week from Saturday. Yeah, a week from Saturday. And I, I just I started talking to Jane Matinaire about this because okay I, I just got married and I'm I'm wondering about this kind of like sweetest day sort of thing. Now what what complicates the matters for me is I'm taking a couple of days off next week. I'm I'm going to be my brother and I are going to San Diego to go see a Jimmy Buffett show. So I'm not even going to be here for for sweetest day for um the first sweetest day since we we have been married. But I I, I just I, I was wondering, you know what I mean I understand Valentine's Day. And things like that. But I was just wondering about this whole notion of Sweetest Day. Is this kind of like one of these hallmark uh, holidays, or is this something that, you know, guys out there, you, you really need to pay attention to? I mean, is this one of these things that, hey, if you don't recognize your sweetie, whether it's your wife or your girlfriend, I mean, are you going to be in trouble? And we were just kind of talking about this. And I, I think the general conclusion was I was going to be in trouble, not so much because, um, n- not so much because the, the, the idea was I, I really, do you get something for sweetest day or, or not? And initially Jane's response to me was, no, you know, you're married. You don't, you don't have to do that. But then when she found out that I was going to be out of town, it was like, well, you, you better pony up with that. All right. So I, I've just been inundated with responses to that and i thought i would do this for just one segment all right it is coming up a week from saturday 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line is this a real holiday i mean is this something that you really you know you, you need to do something special for your significant other and by the way i mean i think it goes both ways you know men if you're doing something for ladies i mean do the ladies have to do something for you is this the equivalent of valentine's day or is sweetest day just sort of some made-up thing in order to sell flowers and candy or something like that and i guess i would be particularly interested an input from some of the female members of our audience. Um, you know what? If if hubby or boyfriend doesn't recognize Sweetest Day, are they going to be in trouble? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, um, I, I just I mean I, I guess I, I kind of wrestle with this and. And, you know, I mean, I appreciate for, for couples that have been married for a lengthy period of time, it all kind of tends to blur. And my guess is there's not too many people in that situation that recognize Sweetest Day. But my sense has always been that this is a Hollywood, that this is kind of one of these hallmark sort of holidays. But I recognize that you make that decision and you take, you know, you... um you, you risk things. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Sweetest day. Is it a real holiday that needs to be celebrated, or is this just is this just commercialization at its worst? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, as expected. Uh, let's see. The uh, text line is exploding. Sweetest day is for the guy. It is for the woman to show appreciation towards any figures in their life. Um, okay, sweetest day, made up. <laughs> okay, so I figure that. Um, 
Let's see. Um, sweetest day. Let's see. What's the other note here? It's made up. Um, sweetest day made up by the card and flower companies. Okay. Let's talk to Mike and Mequon. Mike, you're first. Good morning. How you doing? I'm well, thank you. Okay. Um, what do you think? Sweetest day made up or not? Well, definitely made up, but it's uh, one of these holidays that uh, we send flowers. I'm a hunter, so uh, we send flowers in. That basically allows us then to go hunting. <laughs> so, so, so that 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 that's the that's the deal. Okay, here here's the candy. Here's the flowers. I'm out the door, huh? That's the plan. That's exactly what it is. Um, does it work? Yeah, it does. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm hunting now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, they're, they're, they, they, I guess I guess that response would be you know whatever work, uh, whatever works. Okay. This is Bill. Says this is made up by the florists and the cards companies. Card companies do not and have never celebrated. Another text. It's money making day. Um, another one. Garbage made up by card and flower companies. Now, what I try to also say is that you know for. If you're in a committed relations and stuff, stuff, you shouldn't need sweetest day. I mean, there's nothing wrong with bringing flowers and candy and nice stuff, you know, for your sweetie anytime. You shouldn't necessarily need this day to do it. But how did it come down on this? 414-799-1620. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. I think sweetest day is a uh, Hallmark holiday. It's just a bunch of uh <laughs> Okay. Uh, actually, uh, I think St. Valentine's Day is actually named after a saint, and that's kind of legit. But uh, Sweetest Day is a bogus thing. Okay, so you're... Uh, uh, now, I are, would not... Okay. How long have you been... Oh, are, are you married, Mike? 33 years. Okay. So in other words, if you suddenly started celebrating Sweetest Day, your wife might think something was up, huh? What's he covering up? What's he hiding from me, huh? Uh, that's kind of one thing, but... Uh, you can do a sweetest day any day. Uh, you can. You know, you really don't have to do it on sweetest day. Uh, and Valentine's Day is kind of a legit, uh, legit thing. Well, right. No, thanks. No, see, I, I agree. I mean, you know, for some reason, I mean, I get Valentine's Day. Okay, Casey in Watertown says, married for 20 years, no need for a gift or anything. And then I'm not going to share the second part she just said. That's just kind of too much information. Um, here's a note. My husband gets in trouble if he does acknowledge Sweetest Day. I think it's a joke because what is Valentine's Day for? Which day is more important? Yeah, I mean, remember remember that. Okay, here's another note. Made, it's made up, but I'm not willing to risk ignoring it. Well, you always... You always have that. Another text says, I've always believed that Sweetest Day was for teenage couples. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's a chance. Oh, this is cute. Any day is a great chance to bring uh, our, your wife some. Any day is a great chance to bring your wife some flowers. I'm married 31 years. Happy wife, happy life. I do acknowledge that as well. Dave and Racine. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yes, I was just wondering if the Sweetest Day thing is a, just a one-way street. We're giving, you know, the uh, female significant other, uh, you know, flowers, candy, and jewelry. Does the uh, Do the guys get something like, uh, you know, Beer, right. uh, steak, and firearms. <laughs> well, that's that. Sports, that sports d- tickets, or, you right? Know. Does it right? Thanks. Does it go? Does it go both ways? Well, I would think so. You would think if it works out there. In any event, I, I have just you know I am embarking on this new life with my new wife. I just I, I hope I have not created. I, I have to tell you, when I was looking at this trip that uh, my brother and I were going to take, 
And again, my niece, you know, she goes to school at San Diego State, so it was a great chance to see Sydney. I haven't seen her since she left for school, and um, I'm a big Jimmy Buffett fan, so you get to see him in, in San Diego, and it's a great place to go. I, I admit, I did not think about Sweetest Day when I was buying the tickets. I hope, Rue, who's producing the show today, I have not committed a huge faux pas. Okay, your significant other, is she getting stuff for Sweetest Day? You've never, you've never even heard of Sweetest Day until a few days ago. Okay. All right. Well, all right. It's good that you're working with me. We're 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 gonna we're gonna educate you on that because now that you know about it, the question's going to be: Can you in fact avoid sweetest day? That's going to be one of the challenges. Let's take a quick break. Back with much more in just a couple minutes. It's ten fifty three. This is Jeff Wagner. Ten fifty six. Jeff Wagner. Six twenty. WTMJ. Hmm. Uh, I have a text. I'm not going to mention his name, but the the text is: I just have a question for a guy who has multiple sweeties. What do you do on sweetest day? Well, if you've got multiple sweeties, my guess is you, 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 you my guess is, and if, if you're juggling multiple sweeties, first of all, that that's great. My also advice would be get them all something. You know, that's that's just it. I don't I don't think if you choose to recognize this, I would not advise uh, playing favorites. All right, uh, interesting announcement: the Brewers, and we've talked about this before in the program. The Brewers have just announced that they are going to be extending their protective netting at Miller Park um, for for the next season. This has been a, a huge issue. And, I mean, I, I've talked about this before. I, I like to sit kind of behind home plate in that, that sort of area, and if I'm fortunate enough to be able to get tickets down there, I, I certainly enjoy it. I don't mind being behind the net. As a matter of fact, sometimes I sit in these seats that are just a little bit down the baselines, and um, it, it's like right after the netting ends or you've just got this low level of netting, and you, you really have to be paying attention. I do pay attention during ball games, but the balls get on you so quickly. Um, even if you're watching, and a lot of times there's a chance that you're going to end up being hit. There was a lawsuit we talked about earlier this week that was filed by a 60-year-old Chicago Cub fan who was hit by a foul ball. Again, he was down the first baseline, I believe, lost his sight in his eye. You know, we've had people that have been hit by balls at Miller Park. I don't think that lawsuits have merits. But at the same time, just like hockey that never used to have protective netting, um, until somebody was killed by a puck that went flying into the stands. I, I think baseball is recognizing that you know you need to do these things. And I understand that some people don't like looking through the nets. My reaction is, candidly, I, I think you just kind of you, you forget about it after about 30 seconds. But today the Brewers are announcing plans to significantly extend the protective netting on the field level at Miller Park, taking it to the outer edges of the dugouts on, on both sides. Um, I, I don't know how far up or how high up they're going to do this, but I, I think, and again, the Brewers, they, they've done things that met the standards set forth by, by Major League Baseball, but I, I think this is one of these examples of you, you want to be, you want you want it to be a safe fan experience, and I understand that if you, if you put the, if you extend the netting, it does, well, it limits your ability to get foul balls to an extent. It eliminates your it limits your ability, especially for people who are sitting close in to interact with you know some of the players as they're coming on the field and things like that. But at the same time, th- this to me is one of these sort of common sense situations. I appreciate that there's people who are injured all the time from foul balls. Mostly it's running after the foul balls. Mostly it's not a serious situation. But you've had enough serious situations here that it seems to me this is a common sense sort of thing. 
I understand some people won't like it, but the bottom line is this makes a lot of people safe, and I think it's good, and I think the Brewers are doing absolutely the right thing. All right, coming up up in the next hour of the program, Chris Abley. He wants you to pay more so that you can support the bus system. Um, teachers, teachers would find out if they have violent juveniles in their classes under a new bill proposed. And, of course, the Week in Review. That's all coming up. It's 1059. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1109. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ and Jane. We are still raising money for rides and rains, correct? Yes, we are. We are going until noon. We have a $5,000 challenge trying to get uh, to $5,000 by noon today. We, oh, it's about $3,600 we need. Okay, so we need people to be generous. People have been extremely oh. generous, but this, uh, so generous and so, it's such that, I mean, the original goal was again to, to, allow them to build the the disabled bathroom yes that that's now done and so now we're, we're trying to um again insulate it so that they can heat it and so it can be year-round which would be very cool yeah right now uh the writing program for children and adults with special needs only goes may through uh the end of october it gets just too cold in there and it's too cold for the kids so as you said people have been so astonishingly generous um now we are trying to raise fifty thousand dollars to get that barn insulated that would include heaters and everything and and then they can keep the program going all year long. It's really important to these kids, and especially for a sense of, of time and place. These lessons are a big marker for them. Yeah, I, I know we, we kind of repeat ourselves, and there, there are some people who turn on the radio at 6 o'clock in the morning and keep it on WTMJ till midnight at night, which we say thank you very much. But a lot of people come in and out. That, that's yeah, just sure. kind of the reality. So I know some people say, oh, you, you talked about this before. But I, I've mentioned this. One of the things that really struck me about this whole initiative, and, and we've talked about this before, is when you're dealing with, with children who have these special needs issues, um, this is something for them to look forward to. Um, the idea that you could go ride with Spice. Is that one of the horses' yeah, names? Yeah, Spice. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, just, it, it's just so wonderful. And you want to see that program continue because, again, for anybody who, who's got a child that doesn't you know, face some of these different challenges on a daily basis, there's all these things that you take for granted. But um, th- this is something these kids can really look forward to. There just aren't as many options, you know, if, if your child, you, you can get into soccer, you can go into swimming, they can be in choir, they can do plays, you know, there, there are just a lot of, of options, but for children with special needs, there are certainly art therapies and, and other music therapies, but Rides and Reigns is totally unique, and the therapeutic benefits of riding the horses, the, the physical effect that this has on, on some of these children, it's, it's really astonishing, and it's really something miraculous to see. So once again, you can go to WTMJ.com, and we have Jane's Rides and Reigns WTMJ Care feature you know, featured prominently. You can click on that, and there's just something that lets allow you to click on it, and it says, um, you know, donate, and make it very easy. It yep. takes you just a minute or two. Boom, boom, boom. So, so again, WTMJ.com. I'll click on the uh, WTMJ Cares a symbol and thanks to our presenting sponsor to First Bank Financial Center uh, for sponsoring WTMJ Cares. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Jane. Thanks, it's a wonderful thing to do. Just absolutely wonderful. All right. As long as we are challenging conventional orthodoxy, the, 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 the idea that we have to, we've, we've always done something one way, which means we always have to continue to do something. I, I want to, again, kind of go where angels fear to tread. There, There is a bill that is being drafted in the state legislature, which would say that if a police department 
takes a student into custody on suspicion of a violent crime, that the police department would have to notify the student's school administrator before the next school day begins. So in other words, if you have a, um, I don't know, a 16-year-old or a 15-year-old who's gone out and stuck a gun in somebody's face and stole their car, what would happen is school officials, including the teachers, would have to be notified of this before the start of the next day. And the thinking behind this is we want to protect teachers. We, we think that, you know, teachers and school administrators, if you've got some kid in your classroom who has been involved with, with firearms and an armed carjacking or something, you should know that because, you know, maybe – it will affect how you want to protect yourself or protect others. I, by the way, have no problem with this bill. I, I, I don't. But I want to go farther. See, the reason you need a bill like this is because in Wisconsin, juvenile criminal records are automatically sealed. You do not, I mean, it is like a secret proceeding. Earlier this week, we talked about the story about the 15-year-old kid in McGuanago who stole his parents' car, went on a, a spree where I think he was egging um, you know, surrounding neighborhoods, crashed the car um, into a utility pole, left a 14-year-old passenger for dead. Now, she ended up not dying, but the kid left her for dead, fled, and then evaded, avoided police for the better part of three hours. And in what I think is not something that speaks well to the McGuanago police, sorry, what they ended up doing is instead of putting the kid in handcuffs and hauling him into a juvenile detention facility, they sent him back to mommy and daddy, which I, I think was a horrible decision. But I've been getting a number of emails from people saying, what, what's the follow-up on that? What, what happened? And the problem is you don't know. Because unless the kid is waived into adult court, juvenile proceedings are secret. You might say to me, Jeff, we hear these stories about this this kid who got arrested um, for the 14th time for car theft or has been involved in 14 car thefts. Well, what happened? And the truth is, unless the kid is treated as an adult, and in Milwaukee County, they will not waive you into adult court. You can steal as many cars as you want, and you're going to be treated in the catch-and-release juvenile system. Now, if you commit a crime of violence, if you stick a gun in somebody's face, maybe, maybe, maybe they might consider waiving you in adult court, but that's not even a guarantee. If you have a juvenile that engages in assaultive behavior or commits a whole series of crimes, one after another, those records are sealed. The public never finds out about them as a general rule. So this bill that they're talking about in Madison would say, if a kid gets arrested for a violent crime, you notify the school administrators. I have no problem with that. But you know what? I want to raise the larger issue. Should we seal juvenile records? I mean, let, let, I mean, what is the reason for that? Now, I understand, you know, we, we go back, you know, 30, 40, 50 years in the Leave it to Beaver age, and it's like, well, you know, we, we don't want to come down. You know, we don't want to treat juveniles as criminals, and, you know, they're out there, and if somebody makes a mistake and, like, throws eggs at a house or TPs a house, you know, we, we don't want them to be have this follow them around. But seriously, if you have a juvenile, who is committing crimes, and maybe maybe you say, okay, well, we don't want to make it all crimes, but if you have somebody who's stealing cars, 
or you have somebody who's carjacking or committing crimes of violence that the district attorney's office, for whatever reasons, decides we're not going to try to waive them in adult court. Does it make sense to not tell the public about it? Doesn't the public, shouldn't the public have a right to know? If you live in a neighborhood and the kid three doors down has been involved in, I don't know, a half dozen car thefts over the course of the last year or two and is still in that house, don't you think the neighbors have a right to know? Are we really protecting society by keeping juvenile records sealed? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, especially for repeat juvenile offenders. Now, I think maybe you can make a case that if somebody gets picked up for shoplifting a couple sticks of gum um, at the age of 13, maybe you don't need to publish their name. But seriously, if somebody has been, if you've got a multiple offender, second time somebody has been involved, a 15-year-old has been involved in stealing cars, for example, do we do the public a service by saying, okay, we're going to keep these records secret. We're not going to let the general public know that this kid is a bad kid who is a dangerous, who is dangerous and who is a thief. 414-799-1620. I think we need to start reexamining the entire system and ask, why are we protecting these punks? Let's start with AJ in Hales Corner. It's your first on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, as I told the screener, I, I spent five years as a prosecutor in children's court, not doing delinquency, but I, I did custody matters there. And we, the DAs and I would talk regularly about this very issue. And <laughs> the basic consensus would be is that uh, we, we shouldn't have any confidentiality on criminal offenses. Um, the only difference is is you don't treat a, a, a 12-year-old the same as you would an adult mm-hmm. in terms of disposition. Right. Uh, this way, this way, you know you or you have the opportunity to know that your uh, neighbor two doors down uh, got charged with a burglary. Right. Uh, yeah. You, yeah. You can protect it, and and also the stigma. Of having that happen within the within the media or whatever, however it's uh, done, does does act as a deterrent almost more than the punishment. You know, I AJ, I'm so glad you called. I I agree completely. Matter of fact, I have a text from Rocky who says same 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 thing. I don't think juvenile records should be sealed. It seems like these kids are using their age as a sword instead of a shield nowadays. Yeah, first of all, maybe it would be a deterrent. Maybe. Maybe for some kids, if they knew they weren't going to be coddled, maybe for some kids, if they knew that it was going to be public what they did, maybe, just maybe, they would rethink it. But your example is exactly, uh, is 100% correct. If you've got a 15-year-old punk that lives in your neighborhood that is burglarizing homes, all right, don't you think you should know about that? Wouldn't you want to know why are we protecting the 15-year-old burglar? He is the one who is doing wrong. I mean, I, you, if you would, we say, we say if you've got sex offenders, you know, if there's a sex offender that's moved into the neighborhood, everybody has to be told. Well, again, if you've got somebody who's a, 
a carjacker. And, and you, you can carjack vehicles and not get waved into adult court in Milwaukee County. You can commit multiple burglaries. You can be a repeat car thief. You talk to some of the cops, they'll tell you these stories about how they're catching juveniles who have been involved in 10, 20, 30 automobile thefts, and they're not being waved into adult court. Why in why in God's name are we not are we not exploring making these juvenile records public, putting the names out there? Now again, maybe maybe there's situations for the very youngest that you wouldn't necessarily do it, or maybe for the most minor first time offenses that you wouldn't do it. But I mean, explain to me why if there's a kid that's in a in a neighborhood who's been responsible for fifteen or sixteen burglaries, why you and for whatever reason isn't in adult court. And but has been adjudicated delinquent who has been charged with offenses. Why why wouldn't we tell the general public that hey this kid is breaking into homes? It makes no sense to me that we would um, that we would do a, we would do something like this. And again, I understand that this is a sea change in um, well in generally in the way you have to approach things. But to, one of the things that I've seen over the years is that the type of juveniles that are coming into the system and the types of crimes that they are committing has changed dramatically in the last 20, 30, 40 years. And that's one of the reasons that I believe that the, the juvenile laws are very, very antiquated. I think they were written at a time where, again, we were concerned about, okay, you have the kid who, okay, it's a lark. You know, they, they go and they engage in the prank and they end up getting charged with something. But but that's not the type of juvenile that I think that we are seeing in the system um, right now. And maybe, maybe, maybe we need to consider broadening it. I think this bill, I mean, I think to me this is a no-brainer. You know, if you've got somebody in a school situation or a teacher and, and you know, one of your students has been arrested and charged with a crime of violence, I think you have a right to know that right away. But I would say, I think maybe the general public has a right to know. It's 1122, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1125, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We've got the Week in Review coming up in just a couple minutes. All right, just double back on a couple of things that we have discussed during the course of the week before time completely gets away from me. Um, the legislature taking a look. The UW president, uh, Ray Cross, had come out with his proposal to merge some of the two-year colleges with the, the four-year colleges, the idea being um, you, you could perhaps save some money by, inf- by increasing efficiencies. So UW-Waukesha would become a, essentially a, a part of UW-Milwaukee, that type of thing. I don't have a problem with this, but as I argued earlier uh, this week, this to me, um, th- this isn't the real solution. The real solution is it's time to close some of these two-year campuses. Um, what, what's going on is, is you have a handful of the two-year campuses which are just hemorrhaging students um, to the point that, that, and as they look at the demographics, there's a lot of these campuses where the, the attendance is dropping and dropping and dropping to the point that they're going to have to start, re- they're starting to reassign professors um, and reassign teachers. I'm I'm not against the value of these two-year colleges. I think they do a great job. But the reality is, in the real world, if you have, if, if you own six gas stations in a metropolitan area, and five are making money and one is losing money, 
Well, what do you do? You close the one that is losing money. Now, that might inconvenience some people who live a couple blocks away from that particular gas station. But at the same time, you, you don't just say, all right, the, you know, we don't think we can turn this particular one around for whatever reasons. No, you close it. In government, that's not how it works. It's like, oh, you know, we've got three post offices within a two-mile period, within a two-mile radius. Um, none of them are performing. Instead of consolidating and have one post office, no, we've got to have the three post offices. The same thing is true with some of these college campuses. Um, if you have some of these colleges, and, and of course some of them are are reasonably reasonably close to each other, um, but you have a dramatic drop in the number of people who are attending at some point in time you have to say look it's nice to have it's nice to have a college in manitowoc it's good but if for whatever reason the attendance at you know your manitowoc is dropping at some point in time you know don't you have to make this decision that we can't just continue to keep it open i mean again i think you have to be smart about this but at the same time, as we are trying to figure out how we save money and how we have efficiencies, you, you're going to have to, I think it is inevitable that you're going to have to close some of these campuses. And when I first argued that somebody said, well, that means people will have to travel hundreds of miles. No, it's a general rule. I, I mean, no, you might have to travel an extra 15 miles or something like that. I appreciate it. But at the same time, we, we've got to figure out a way to stretch dollars, and that's the way to do it. All right. Another thing, just to follow up on something we talked about again earlier this week, um, Chris Abley, who refuses to no, take no for an answer, he, he pushed for a $60 wheel tax in Milwaukee County. Well, the last person who leaves Milwaukee County, please turn out the lights. The uh, county board ended up giving him $30. So now if you have a car and you live in Milwaukee County, you pay the, what, 75 bucks um, for the state registration. You pay $30 for the privilege of keeping the car in Milwaukee County. And then you pay an extra 25 bucks if you happen to live in the city of Milwaukee. Thank you, Tom Barrett. So, I mean... Chris Abley, not happy with just a $30 increase, wants a $60 wheel tax, wants to double it, doesn't care the fact that the referendum um, went down 70 to 30. He knows better. He wants people to pay. Story in the Journal Sentinel today says, well, okay, one of the reasons that they are, are doing this is that they would use this money mainly to preserve existing levels of transit services. So in other words, he wants those of us who have cars and live in Milwaukee County, he wants us to support, in a greater fashion, the failing bus system. And this is, of course, the same Chris Abley, who has this harebrained scheme that we want to tear up the city streets, um, make it almost impossible to drive on either Blue Mound or Wisconsin Avenue, all so we can put in a quote-unquote rapid bus line that's going to knock six minutes off a trip from downtown out to uh, the medical college campus, a, a route that people aren't going to ride in any sort of significant numbers anyways. But on top of that, he now wants $60 wheel tax. Here, here's the bottom line. I think public transit is important. Um, I think it's interesting to analyze why people aren't riding the buses. But at some point in time, to continue to expect the people that drive cars to fund the transit system, I think is ridiculous. And if they need more money for the buses, they're just going to have to figure out ways to get it by cutting expenses elsewhere. Oh, how horrible could that be? It's 11.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It is our Week in Review. Fun one this week. Uh, joined, as always, by Susie Falk from Falk Group PR. 
and Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. Ladies, good, good morning. morning. All right. Uh, let's start with the Boy Scouts. Uh, Boy Scouts making a decision this week that they are going to be admitting girls for the, the first time. Um, Cub Scout packs will have the choice if they want to be mixed or if they want to remain separate. Um, Girl Scout, girls will have the opportunity to go after merit badges and to become Eagle Scouts. Um, the rule is for 11 to 14 year olds, the Boy Scouts, there's not going to be co ed camping. Um, that would be the thing. Um, all right. Girl Scouts of America are irate are at this. I mean, the Girl Scouts of America are saying that this is. This is a money grab from the Boy Scouts. They're afraid it's going to siphon off membership. All right, you were telling me off the air that both of you were Girl Scouts. So, Susie Falk, is this a good thing? I do think it's a good thing. I, I actually do. Um, I think the Girl Scouts is an awesome organization. I love what they did for me. I think there, there will be a role for the Girl Scouts. But I think the Boy Scouts, um, they've got a selling proposition. I mean, they are doing incredible things. Um, I think they're going to have to change the name to perhaps just Scouts. And I would like to see maybe girls-only troops within the Scouts. But that's for another day. Um, the, the thing is, it's a business decision on the part of the Boy Scouts. They also, they've got a reputation that they're a little bit worried about. They've taken a lot of flack over the years for banning certain types of people, including gay kids and transgender. And so this is this is yet another step toward trying to shore up their reputation, to open up their doors to another revenue source. I think it's very smart for the Boy Scouts. And I will ask you this, Jeff. Do you know what a gold award is? What the gold award The is. gold award. No. That's the Girl Scout equivalent okay. of an Eagle Scout. You okay. know what an Eagle Scout is? Of, of course, course, yeah, sure. Okay, Eagle Scouts on your resume as you're applying to college applications in the military, that, that designation serves a boy incredibly well. Now that girls have access to that award designation, that's only going to help their chances. Now, I, I should mention, we're also live streaming this on Facebook Live, so you can go to facebook.com backslash 620 WTMJ, because then you would have seen the face that Tracy Johnson <laughs> made just a minute ago. So, <laughs> see, that's why you want to watch this. Okay, Tracy, I... What do you think? I think it's terrible. It's a terrible idea. I think it's, it, you can say it's a money grab, but I got news for you. If this goes too much further, my kid is not going to be in Boy Scouts. I just, I just got my little boy into Cub Scouts. I think they stand for wonderful things, including the development of, of, of young men, mm-hmm. just like I was a Girl Scout for the development of young well, you know, the, women. I mean, the Girl Scouts, to that point, the Girl Scouts say they have no intention of admitting boys Good. because... Their organization is all about girl about empowering it's, girls, and that's it, what they say. Yeah. And working together, and, and as somebody who worked for a women's association for seven years, I definitely see the power of, of women working together or men working together. I think this is a terrible, terrible idea. I don't think they're doubling their chances at the marketplace. I think they're going to be cutting people out. And I think people like me and moms like me who who think that there's something important about that, we're we're going to walk away and we're going to start our own club and we're going to start some other boy club. And all those girls that want to join the Boy Scouts will replace your I got news for you. Girls are not going to join the Boy Scouts. That is ridiculous. I think if you you rebrand the whole thing, actually you call it the Scouts. But but is this a reflection? Go to 4-H. Go to some other civic club. This is ridiculous. Is this a reflection on the failure of Girl Scouts. No. I mean, gir- well, no. Let me finish Sorry. the question. Gir- <laughs> gir- no. Gir- Girl Scouts, uh, 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 participation of Girl Scouts has been dropping dramatically. Right. And Boy Scouts. Uh, Boy Scouts but, but not to the extent of Girl Scouts. Okay, not to the extent of Girl Scouts. Uh, um, is, this, is this a reflection that what Girl Scouting is offering um, isn't what 
the, the girls want to the extent that there is to the extent that the girls want to do the camping and stuff like this. Is, you, is this a failure? Of it's, Girl it Scouts? is a failure. And if you look mm-hmm. at who makes up the Girl Scouts, it's mostly suburban white kids. There is no room in the Girl Scouts right now for minorities. Again, look at the numbers. Boy Scouts are doing a better job in that area. And I think until Girl Scouts figures out how to market to a more diversified uh, group of girls and families, they're going to continue well, losing their memberships. Let's not forget, too, that these troops don't survive if you don't have leaders and troop right. leaders, which is a huge struggle, even in the suburbs where I live with all the, you know, with, where it's, it's not very diverse. Right. Right. <laughs> um, it, it's a struggle to find leadership. And, and I don't care if you're a man or a woman. Um, we have women leading the troops uh, in, in the Cub Scout troop in, in where I live. And, and I think that's, that is a, a, a continuous struggle. Let's not also forget that when I was growing up, I, I didn't play soccer. I didn't have all these little clubs and these art groups that you could belong to. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more competition mm-hmm. uh, for, for our resources. And I think that's why you've got the declining enrollment. I did hear an interesting argument about why some of the funding, though, uh, for the Boy Scouts may be stronger. And that is because the men are funding their mm-hmm. alma mater and, mm-hmm. you know, they're funding the Boy Scouts and they're traditionally making more money than women. And, and that's and sponsored by church organizations. Let's not forget that. I mean, Girl Scouts is completely secular. The Boy Scouts rely on some church sponsorship, mm-hmm. not, not which every I, I think, Which I think is, is another issue as well. I think that's one of the things that attracts some people to scouting mm-hmm. is there is a religious component. Mm-hmm. They make no bones about it. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean there is. And that turns off a lot of people who otherwise would join the Girl Scouts, to be honest. You know, I mean, there are some, some groups that want to see their kid in a scouting program that has a religious affiliation. Right. But that's called choice, and that's what a beautiful democracy is all about. Here's there the, should be secular groups, and there should be non-secular groups. The other thing I will say about the Scouts, and, and I've observed this, I have a young little Cub Scout. They say the Pledge of Allegiance. They, they salute. They have respect. Mm-hmm. And if if this pu- pu- publicly correct society um, infiltrates too much to the point where they say, you know what, we're going to give these people a choice so they don't have to say the Pledge of Allegiance, that is going too far. So I hope that they can maintain some sort of sanity here because I actually think that allowing girls is insane and I, ridiculous. I, and I, I'm, bad I'm curious system. as to where this whole thing also plays out because, like, like I said, the um, for uh, – Part, part of the Boy Scout experience is the camping things and things like mm-hmm. that. Now, they've already said that they're not going to allow co-ed camping. Now, I'm putting on my lawyer hat. I'm trying to picture how this works out. Let's say you've got a, a troop, 20 boys, 5 girls. And, all right, the, you, you're not going to have co-ed camping. So there's not enough parents to take the five girls on a camping trip. They can't go with the boys. So then how long is it going to be before the lawsuit about how you're discriminating because you're treating, you know, you're excluding the girls? Maybe they have different campsites within the campground. I mean, come on, just just separate them, whatever. Okay, what about this? What about those kids that don't identify with either gender? And and I know, I understand your listeners are very conservative, and this is a shocking idea, but there are people out there that... You're talking about the one out of 100,000? They're out there, and they're becoming more... I mean, read Time Magazine just recently. It's, it's a huge percentage of kids that don't. Have, I, I don't. Identify. A huge percentage. There's a there's a large number of people out there that don't I- identify. You guys don't roll your eyes, okay? There are different. No, no. Tracy just put her head down. See, that's yeah, why you want to watch okay, us on well, Facebook Live. Okay, kids. Okay, and besides, aren't we reinforcing stereotypes when it comes to leadership? Okay, well, what's girls? What's, what no, are girls. The girls Susie, girl, Susie, Susie, Susie. Girl girls, Scout are, girls are different. I know girls, girls are different girl than boys. You're enforcing gender. Right. Your gender. Oh, yeah, well, okay, so now are Boy Scouts going to sell cookies? What I'm. I think they should. Actually, I think the Girl Scouts and the Boy Scouts should come together. I think there should be non-secular troops, and there should be relig- religious-sponsored troops. And we should have black cookies, and we should have white cookies, and we should have 
everything she crazy. can have. She, can have she just wants us all to get menorah. along. Absolutely. You know what? I'm selling and Christmas what treats for that? my kids. We need menorahs. We need we need holidays. How about the troops decide? How about you have? How about the groups decide? All right. Why not the troops? Why not have scouting, the model of scouting, which everybody can go under the umbrella of scouting, and there's, you know, say the Pledge of Allegiance. Fine, have that. But maybe they're girls' troops and boys' troops. Baden Powell, the founder of Boy Scouts, is rolling over. Who cares? That was 107 years ago, too. Well, okay, but it's a model that that has worked. And so now we have, like Tracy's talking about, this politically correct society. It hasn't worked. It's losing membership. We just talked about that. I know, but it's working. It's going to be interesting. It's working for some kids. It's not working for as many as in the 70s. They're struggling for membership. That's why we're talking about this, Jeff. Well, exactly. But the idea that... Bringing girls in, I think it's going to be curious. First of all, I think this is going to—I do think it will, will siphon off some Girl Scouts. I think it's going to be a huge financial blow to the Girl Scouts. Um, do people leave the Boy Scouts? And that's your point, Tracy. It'd I be think people to see. leave the Boy Scouts. Time will tell. All right, it's eleven forty-four. When we come back, um, a Hollywood mogul has a very, very quick fall. We're considering closing some Wisconsin campuses and much more. Stick around. It is the Week in Review, a spirited one this week. Uh, I'm Jeff Wagner with Susie Falk and Tracy Johnson. It's 1147, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Again, we're live streaming the Week in Review on Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. You can see the vocal expressions of... Uh, the the um, voc- you can hear the vocal expressions and see the facial expressions of Tracy Johnson and Susie Falk. Okay, topic number two: Did the media and the Hollywood elite cover up Harvey Weinstein's sexual misconduct? This is a story everybody's talking about. Guy's been a Hollywood mogul for thirty years. He is also a pig, um, and it's just now coming out. But a lot of people are saying everybody knew this about Harvey Tracy Johnson. Well, yeah, they definitely covered it up. What I think is is very embarrassing for people like Ashley Judd, who are so outspoken on everything else. Somebody looked at her the wrong way in an airport, and she was all over social media, yet she kept this a secret for how many years? I think this is an embarrassment. And, you know, it's what I would expect from Hollywood uh, to be complicit like this and to, you know, kind of look the other way. But... Um, you know, pigs are pigs, right? They can be Republicans, they can be Democrats, they can be anyone. I'm just it. It shows that like the Democrats stick together. Well, and, well right, because that, that, that <laughs> was my point. Because I mean, squeal. Harvey Weinstein. This was this was not this was known in Hollywood that that the guy was uh, again. I'd say casting couch, but it was much worse than that. But because he he gave money to all the right causes and he supported all the right candidates, people, men and women looked the other way mm-hmm. for decades until finally it, it kind of all blew up. So does that demonstrate like the hypocrisy that's out there? Oh, the hypocrisy. hypocrisy. Think about how, how scared these people are going to be when, when it comes to, to fundraising time. Who's going to throw all the big parties and you know who's going to give all this money? I mean, you gave tons and tons of money, millions of dollars to these Democratic candidates. And yeah, it shows the hypocrisy. But, but also, like I said, it shows how people can stick together. I mean, it, and I think in a, in a Republican, if a Republican were to do this, they don't cover it up. They just come out and say it. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's unfortunate. It goes down to politics. Cover up in both camps. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're right. This is just a despicable person. What a pig. And for him to use his power like that is, is disgusting. Um, of course, Hollywood you know, they've got a lot of people who had ties to him and careers would have been lost should they, you know, come out too loudly. So I get that. But what I don't understand is how NBC dropped oh. 
NBC should have broke this story about a year ago, and they sat on, it was Mia Farrow's son who had all this information, this dirt on Harvey Weinstein. The story was ready to go, and the attorneys for NBC, the network, you know, yeah. got hung, they, they couldn't let it go. They wouldn't, they wouldn't clear, clear it. They wouldn't well, the New York Times had it a decade ago. There was well, a woman who had yeah. the story, and they said, well, we're, we, we just don't, so, we, we don't think you have it. And so instead of telling her to continue to pursue it, they right. just, they wanted so, to go away. So there's the creative media, and then there is the, you know, the fourth estate, the journal that are out there that should be reporting on this stuff. And that's kind of what broke my heart recently. I'm glad, was it the New Yorker and New York Times? But right. the New what, York what happened was the New Yorker had the, the, the huge story by right. Ronan Farrell, and yeah. then the New York Times realized they were going to run with so right. they, they kind of beat the New Yorker, sure. but it was really the so New Yorker finally, was the story. The story yeah. gets told. You know, if that kind of stuff is always going to come out. It's, it's just sometimes a matter of time, and that NBC sat on it for so long. Shame on NBC. Are we surprised, though? I, I, would, I would expect this from the media and Hollywood who are all kind of in the same boat anyway. I, I guess I'm, I'm just not surprised, but I'm also one of those people who's, who's always kind of thought very little of, of some of those media estates uh, like you talk about. So I, well, I'm it, not surprised. It, it is the hypocrisy. Okay, I've got a couple things I want to do before we get to our Right Stuff Awards. Um, the, the NFL, which of course has been embroiled in the whole national anthem thing, um, recognizing that the bottom line is being hurt right now, um, Roger Goodell says, okay, the NFL owners are going to get together next week, and he's sort of intimating that maybe we need a rule requiring the players to stand for the national anthem. The owner of the Miami Dolphins this week said, look, if you're going to be on the sidelines, I expect you to stand. Uh, you can stand in the tunnel, but I don't want you kneeling on the sidelines. Jerry Jones, owner of the Cowboys, saying that he'll bench anybody who doesn't kneel. Okay, should the NFL pass a rule? Susie. I don't think a rule should pass. I think the team should kind of come to terms with what they want to do and then just spell it out for the players. I think there are, I honestly think that there needs to be better outlets for the players to express their frustration with what fill in the blank. You know, I think we, we've gotten to a point where we really don't even know what some of the players are, are protesting and it's very confusing. Read the cover of the Journal Sentinel today. Lance Kendricks, our very own, is, there's a nice story explaining. He's Puerto Rico, yeah. yeah he's he protesting a, Puerto he, Rico, he's yeah. He's an incredibly patriotic person. His, his, you know, one of his relatives fought in World War II. He's got Vietnam veterans in his family. And he is flies that, so the flag. Is, he's so incredibly is that, patriotic. Is that a reason he married then, a Puerto Rican. Is that a reason sat. then for the owners not to allow protests on their time you're, in the workplace. You're going to have so much blowback by the players, it's not worth it. Good. I, I, I don't, NFL, what is that? I don't, I don't, okay. I don't want to watch political. That's, I want to watch football if I want to watch football. We shouldn't have to legislate common sense. This is ridiculous. Stand for the flag or get out of the league. If you don't want to play the game in America, think, then leave. I, I don't have any time for it. I am one of those people. I will not go to a Super Bowl party. I will not go to an NFL party. I don't even care anymore because all it is is political. They're, they're playing games and they're being babies. And we shouldn't have to say, well, you guys, if you want to kneel, then go over in the corner no. and kneel. You we shouldn't them, have to say that. These are adult men making millions of want. dollars. And this whole story is going to go away after uh, us watching for two months, realizing some sit, some kneel, some, you know, say the rosary, whatever. But it's going to, the story goes ridiculous. away. They have the, they feel like they're somewhat given the voice. I, guess, I just don't think they have the right. It, 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 it's a workplace. I, I mean, I'm, if we were saying, on your Tuesday afternoon off, eight of you can't go down and stand outside the courthouse and have a press conference denouncing 
whatever. I think they have every right to do it. But they're in the workplace. And just like you know, we all have workplaces, there are rules and limits on our political activity. I, I think the NFL has every right to say, when you're on that yeah. sideline, you are at work, and this is how we expect you and to behave. And they have every right to say the, the opposite. So, I mean, that's... Well, then they have have a right to get their sorry butts fired. Then they get the right to get benched. I understand. But what I'm saying is leave it to the ownership, right? These are private businesses. But they're all part of the NFL, which I think is, is what it comes down to. So...